reduced ethical collection. So we we removed the use of bailiffs except where people absolutely could pay and weren't. You know, when I was young, I remember hiding under my front room windows whilst the bailiffs were hammering, hammering at the window. My mum was crying next to me. You know, and um, that, and also I think you, you get whacked with a three hundred quid charge every time they come round. So you, you, you could find yourself with a you know ten pound debt that escalates to three hundred and then a six hundred and then before you know it. So we are not. I'm not supportive of that as a concept. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. With the recent announcement that Bristol City Council could cut services to plug a £23 million shortfall, this week we talked to the man who holds the purse strings. It's the designated Deputy Mayor with responsibility for finance, governance and performance, Craig Cheney. The councillor for Healfields talks to us about his background in poverty, being one of ten children, what motivates him to get into politics and where some of these cuts should be made. Will they be frontline services? Should they be cutting back on expensive consultancy fees? And the question is, why should we trust somebody that oversaw such wasting of money with Bristol Energy? I suppose in many ways you're the the man that holds the sort of purse strings. You're like the Gordon Brown to Tony Blair. Would that would that be fair? <laughs> well, that's one way of putting it, I suppose. Yes, yes, that yeah. is my role, technically, yeah. Sure. So you are the designated deputy mayor with responsibility for finance, governance and performance. The, the uninitiated, that sounds a bit wordy. So what what is that in a nutshell? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I, I've got the control of the budget, but I also have lots of other little bits and pieces as well. So all the kind of professional servicey bits, so HR, IT, legal, all those bits, as well as having property and culture and a few other kind of add-ons that are a bit more. That's quite like a lot. Isn't it? Crikey, it is. Are you, are you kind of like a details man then? You, you somebody, you know, like some people get. I, I'm not particularly, and sort of get a bit like, oh god, kind of. But you, are you, someone who's quite forensic with. Yeah, I'm, I'm a spreadsheet help. person. If I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love a good spreadsheet. <laughs> Great. Um, we want to clear something up initially, and, and as a man of detail, I, I don't know how you know how robust this is, but there has been a survey across the council chamber, uh, and you were voted as the most handsome local councillor in Bristol. Um, oh, well. Were you, were you aware of this? or No, I was not aware of this. No? no. no. Well, thank you. That's, that's very kind of them. I think, but not sure. Did you, I don't know if you get an award or a certificate <laughs> or, a, or a trophy or anything for that. or Cash. I don't know. Yeah. No, cash. Cash would be good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. do you accept that accolade or, or do you think there's other people that could be better looking than you? I think the, there are probably the, better looking councillors than me, I must say. Yeah. I know you're a big Bristol Ravers fan. And as we talk... Rovers just pulled it out of the bag, didn't they, last night oh. in, the F- in the FA Cup? <laughs> so I, I could not believe it. I, you know, I was listening on the radio, and it was one all at the end of extra time, and then suddenly we were down three one in no time at all. And I, I sort of turned off or walked out of the room anyway, and then came back ten minutes later to find out that we were four three. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I know, unbelievable. Man. Celebrate, and although I've, you know, there are City fans winding up Rovers fans today by saying, right, you've literally just got through to the second round of the FA Cup, and <laughs> anybody would think you'd won it. Um, being a Rovers fan, though, it's, you know, quite, quite strong for you. You're, you're a kind, are you a Kingswood boy, Hillfields boy around that kind of area? Yeah, so, yeah, so I lived in, originally in Kingswood and then in Hannum, but at the kind, the kind of Kingswood end of Hannum, so not, not far from Hillfields where I live now, yeah. Which so, is obviously a kind of Rovers stronghold. Very, very Rovers, and my whole family, my, you know, my cousins, my, Aunts and uncles, everyone—they're all Rovers fans. So, on, on the politics and the council chamber stuff, then um, 
So you are the designated deputy mayor. There's two of you. So there's you yeah. and Asher Craig, and you've got slightly different remits. Yeah. Um, you often seem to be the person when Mayor Marvin Reese is absent in the chamber that sort of sits in the in the chair. Yeah. Well, um, so the, the the designated part means that that's the kind of um, the legal. So every council has to have a legal deputy mayor, so someone who steps in when if anything were to happen or if, if Marvin were away. Yeah, so that's why technically I step into the into the breach. But the, the thinking originally was that we wanted to weave finance and public health through every decision we were making. Mm-hmm. So so Asher took that public health with that kind of increased focus of pushing that through everything we were doing. And I took the finance lens because I, I, I'm sure you'll remember at the beginning of our time in, we had that kind of finance black hole and we, we tried to really rebuild that. Sure. There has been a big announcement recently, potential £23 million shortfall, and you've put out a consultation to the public about this. Just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not alone in this. I, I attend something called um, the, the Core Cities Finance League. So the Core Cities are the 10 biggest cities in England outside of London. Obviously, each council has a has a finance lead. So we, we have regular meetings just to discuss problems. And through through kind of... August September-ish time everyone was starting to pull together their numbers ready for next year and looking at where sort of COVID funding was dropping away but COVID pressures were still existing yeah. and um, and we started to realize I think across core cities we've got something like a 500 million pound budget gap across the 10 councils Bristol's Bristol's share of that was about was about 45 I think but we've managed by thinking about how we spend our capital budget for example mm-hmm. and other stuff we've managed to, to kind of move that down to about 23 but it is at this moment in time that still looks to be the extent of the problem and 23 million pounds a year isn't you know it's a big sum of money and do you think that message gets out clear enough um and as you say the council you know is occasionally under you know and and rightfully so scrutiny and some things get criticized and others but the, the the national picture in which all local authorities across the country have been working under i think there's been something around a 29 percent decrease in council funding and that's called it to the LGA, a local government association. And that's been happening, you know, in, increasingly, particularly over this last or 10-year sort of Tory government period. Two questions, that's, do people factor that in enough and mitigate that for, for what you guys do? And also, do you think you talk enough about that to get that message out? So, I mean, I, I guess there's, there's two. So, so it's, been, it's been 12 years and we've lost 70p in the pound, I think, in, in Bristol pretty much. So if you imagine any business that loses 70p in the pound of his income is pretty much you know, done. (laughs) So, so we've had to make a lot of, uh, and not not just us, you know, successive councils have had to make a lot of decisions on, on how to reduce spend. And of course you start 70p in a pound, that is a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. And of course you start off there, there are things that you can just stop doing or there, you know, you can do things better in every organization. Yeah. Yeah. Any massive organization has a lot of things in it that you could maybe just improve processes and and speed things up and, you know, and save money Mm. that way. But that all happened a long time ago now. So we're now, you know, we're at the, at the thick end of it now where we've got no none of those kind of easy quick wins are there anymore we're, we're having to make difficult decisions and, and really we have been since we since we first came in because none of it was easy and we had to find 150 million pounds a year in, and there was a 29 million pound deficit and there was a 29 million george ferguson correct well that's well there was a 29 million pound thing in the budget badge the savings and then when we looked at the plans there weren't any so so yeah so 
that that was the problem there. And we had was, to it come all come out in the bungee review, didn't it? And it was spoken That's about right. It. Yeah, and yeah. You had, and you had to go in from the off and 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 try and. I think well, a direct quote was deal with this mess. I think that's what the man. Yeah, we, we had to we had to free spending. We had to recruit new finance team, new finance director. There was a huge amount of um. Yeah, there was it was it wasn't an easy time. There was a lot of very difficult things that had to be done, and when you free spending, you know that creates a lot of noise around the city because things stop happening. Yeah. He, I, I spoke to George. He was the last. George Wilson mm. was, was on the, this, this program a couple of weeks ago, right. and he felt that it was all hyperbolic. It was all about trying to sort of frame him or, or make him look bad and pull these kind of figures out and put them together and, and this kind of uh, sense of just trying to undermine everything that he did. How, how would you respond to that? Well, I, I wish that were true. I mean, I, I'll be honest that we we didn't really think particularly about about George or his his legacy. He wasn't in our thinking, and I don't mean that to be in any way dismissive controversial or to, yeah. to be be yeah I, I just that we came in we started to look at the problems and the, you know the finance team started to to show us and what their plans were and there weren't really any plans so hmm. you know from from my point of view I think that's an unfair I think I don't think we we had George in mind when we were looking at those numbers that was about having yeah. to deal with a problem very quickly and explain why it was we were having to make difficult decisions really quickly and you came in in 2015 as a, as a local councillor for heel fields yeah. you have a background in finance though don't you so you kind of coming into the council and looking at this kind of stuff you, you've worked in the finance yeah i worked in the financial sector and yeah that's right i worked in the financial sector and then i know i worked in um in business change so in transformation so it was quite good in some senses i came with a background that helped us to be able to make a number of kind of you know, business processy rationalization type stuff, which is not very not very exciting to talk about, but yeah. can can save you big chunks of money without having to make frontline service cuts. And on the frontline services stuff, then, so I guess where it it it, it must be doubly difficult for somebody like yourself. I'm, I mean, I know you grew up on a council estate. Am I right? You one of ten children? Is that right? One of ten siblings? Thir- thirteen, actually. Thirteen. Yeah. Bloody yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm one of thirteen, and we all grew up in a three bed council house, and um. It wasn't, yeah, they weren't easy times. My dad was often out of work, you know, it was yeah. the 80s and 90s. My dad had worked in manufacturing and then got made redundant and then struggled through various, you know, being a window fitter or being a, I don't know, working in a factory, working in a warehouse. And then, yeah, the jobs were kind of not great. So he, he wasn't always working. So we struggled a lot of the time, yeah. And presumably would be accessing, you know, public services would have been important yeah, for you. Yeah, as absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, you know, things like council tax reduction as we call it now council tax benefit as it was then you know that was something that saved our bacon really from for many years um we had so for you know the cooker blew up at some point i remember we had no money to buy a new one and we we called on what what would now be the local crisis prevention fund to come you know they the council bought us a new cooker basically because we couldn't afford one so mm. so yeah absolutely understand what it's like at the, at the front end of that and is that what i guess shaped you or shaped your politics and drew you into the labor party yeah, I think so. So I, I also had um, you know, I had a, a problematic relationship with my step step parent, and um, and I came out of my childhood, and I've kind of my two. So I moved out when I was seventeen. I moved my two sisters in with me, who were younger than me, and finished putting them through school. And I came out of that pretty angry, you know. That I felt let down by the whole system. I'll be honest, we weren't things things that were happening weren't picked up on, mm. um, and so. Um, I suppose I probably spent I probably spent my twenties to thirties getting drunk and going out in town to be honest, and a kind of just an angry rejection of everything. Yeah. And then um and then when I got a little bit older, I thought, do you know what? You can shout from the sidelines all you want, but if you don't try and make a difference, then you know what you're going to look back on yourself and, and think, did you did you do the right thing? So so I then 
I jo- I'd been a member of the Labour Party anyway. That had been a kind of from when, the, from how long? Well, I I, jo- I left I left over the Iraq War actually. So I joined probably when I was sixteen, maybe seventeen, yeah. and then left again. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. and then rejoined, yeah. and then rejoined when Ed Miliband was was leading the party, and mainly because I. I thought we could do with a better leader. <laughs> sure. and we, I, I kind of on that then, and I always ask people, you know, whatever political party or who who is the people who kind of influenced them and, and was a kind of role model politically. It's a difficult one. I think um, I don't. I mean, I get I get badged as a Blairite, I guess, but I don't know that I necessarily am. Particularly, do you? Think, do people do yeah. see? But is that because you do the finance and stuff? Yeah, like, I think so. Yeah. And I wear a yeah. suit, you know. It's, if you, you know, and that's what people, <laughs> yeah. people assume, isn't it? Do you, probably, do, you, do you reject that label then? Well, presumably, if well, you left, if join the Iraq war, right war, then maybe. Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm probably closer to to Gordon Brown, I guess, than than Blair. But yeah, I, I probably, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be described as far left either. So. You know, I think we can get things done by pragmatism sometimes, and that puts you in a certain camp in the Labour Party, doesn't it? Rightly or wrongly, I think yeah. the thing is, and, and the, the thing I've always thought about the Labour Party is, it doesn't really, ma- you know, there's like a cigarette paper between one, one, the centre left and the far left. There's just the very small, minor disputes most of the time that we get wrapped up in. Yeah. All the while, the you know, the Tory Party and the the right in Britain is romping home to victory because we're all too busy arguing amongst ourselves about very small things that you know we can disagree on in private. I guess they'll get on with delivering better outcomes for people of Britain, yeah. Let's talk about potentially where some of these cuts could come from or savings. Uh, this is a direct quote from, from the council saying that the council is considering the following areas to make savings and will further consult on these if any changes are proposed. Uh, potential sales of council-owned property, reducing the need for direct services by helping to enable other organisations, communities and individuals to take things on, and redesigning, reducing, or stopping services where this is feasible. Let's just take those one by one, if we can. Uh, potential sales of council-owned property. So that would be community asset transfer stuff, or actually literally selling off like old what could be libraries, community centres, youth centres, yeah, so swimming pools, etc. Yeah, no, it's more about. So obviously, coming out of the back of COVID, we're starting to use our offices in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So we're not full by any stretch of the imagination at, at City Hall at the moment because people aren't, you know, haven't necessarily all come back to work from the from the pandemic, and people are able to work from home, and it, and we were able to deliver, I think, you know, a very very good level of service throughout the pandemic, despite the fact that the building was closed for for a huge swathe of that time. So, so we're just rethinking how we operate, and that's. You know, I, I can't jump the gun on some of that stuff, but I, I think that would that should deliver a, a tidy a tidy chunk of of saving there. Well, uh, you mean actual counts? You mean actual council where, offices, council offices places where people right? work? Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. This is not necessarily a new thing that has been happening for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Something like this is before my time, so the figures might be off. But I think we were in something like thirty-eight buildings, yeah, in terms of sort of office space, really. And, and I think in George's time, that was reduced to I think five or six or something. So it's yeah. definitely been a it's definitely been a long term strategy. Okay, so reducing the need for direct services. Um, so I guess that is around trying to enable third sector organisations or charities or businesses to take on some uh, service delivery. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I guess. Um, more, Isn't that more, a big David Cameron, big society, and all that? Well, kind of stuff? the pro- the problem, I guess, is ultimately we haven't got enough money to do it ourselves. So if we don't try and help others to do it, the alternative is to just stop doing it and walk away. You know, so uh, yeah. Marvin's always been of the view that um, 
you know, this idea of a development organization. So rather than just delivering services to an area or giving money to organizations to deliver services to an area, working with a community so that it's resilient enough to be able to deliver these things for itself in the future. And that's, you know, not ideal and not how we would necessarily like to do things, but it's what we have to but do. But again, nothing new. I mean, you look at the youth service, uh, that's been, that was put out to the third sector, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Over, you know, almost to almost 10 years now. Yeah. I would, would, would you argue, I guess, would you say it's been a success? So I think I think in some cases, as I think there are things that other organisations are able to do, for example, get get funding from other places that the council can't do. You know, we can't apply for a lot of grants, a lot of other types of funding that, that first sector mm-hmm. organisations can. So there are there are ways that you can lever in more money by by going out, you know. and Yeah, not a lot of people understand that, particularly on the left. I think there's this sense that all services have to be delivered by a local authority. The argument being that actually the people that you're applying the service to, it doesn't really have any impact upon that element. No, well, I mean, that, that's the dream, isn't it? That would, that would be the ideal, or not the dream, but that would be the, an, yeah. a, a, good, a better outcome than stopping doing it entirely. And yeah. um, and there are times when, yeah, I, I, is a is a you know a council-run service the best service for everyone all of the time? I'm not sure that it always is. People aren't always happy with services that the council deliver on. So, um, you know, you you could you can make a strong case for sometimes this allows organisations the freedom to make their own decisions a bit more. Things, you know, I'm, I'm a trustee of our local community centre, and I was before I was a councillor, and we run a whole range of services there that would never That's have been Hillfields, yeah, Hillfields, Hillfields Community, yeah. Hillfields community yeah. Hub, yeah. We run a range of services there that we wouldn't have been able to have run. You know, had it continued to be a council building, so so I think you know, it's a it's, tricky one. I mean, I've, I've, it's a tricky one, I think, because I've, I've seen that kind of directly. Where, and I think you're right. If you look at, if I just, you know, specifically on obviously because that you, that was a local authority youth centre, wasn't it originally? It was, yeah. Um, and if you do look at, I think we've had about twenty youth centres that have closed uh, across the city in the last coming up to about six, six to seven years. I might, I might be wrong about that, but it's definitely twenty. And that, you know, again, that is a national picture as well. I think we had about up to five hundred across the country, but. What has happened, I think, in some areas like Hillfields, um, which is being used effectively, other places like, I guess, the old Mill Youth Centre, which is Empire Fine Chance now, there are other good examples in the city. There are also other examples where uh, the youth centre has not been replaced. There's always that danger that if you rely on third sector organisations to fill that gap, um, they will only fulfil what needs to their organisation, not necessarily always to the needs of the local community. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess that's on that's on the council then to make sure that the people that they're working with fully re- represent their area. But you know, the alternative often is that it just stops entirely. So, so we try and yeah. put in as much effort as you can to keeping things running. But when you're t- when you've lost seventy p in the pain, as we said earlier, that there are you just can't continue to do all the things you did before. So there are decisions. There's literally a choice between no service and a different model of how we deliver service. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in, in many cases. So, so what do you do? You, you know, you work as hard as you can to get the right right result for the local community. And I think, you know, taking Hillfields as an example, it has worked very well. And we are able to still run services there. But we also do lots of other other things. You know, we've got Polish school, we've got therapy sessions for local residents. You know, we've got young mums group. We've got lots of things that happen there that that we ne- wouldn't necessarily have happened under under the council. So. Um, there are other examples that aren't so great. Uh, redesigning, reducing, or stopping services where this is feasible. That is kind of cut, I suppose, in a in a, in a uh, you know a different language. Yeah. Uh, do you have any idea now? I know it's going out to consultation, and you probably don't want to be steered too much. Do you have any idea where this could be? N- not especially. So, I, I, so what we know is that we continue to be 
overspending in, in adult social care and it's a big problem big problem for us i mean we're not alone in that this is a national crisis and, and the, yeah. the government might have chucked a little bit on national insurance but all and said it was fixing social care but none of the money's coming to the council is all going to the nhs so so we have got a problem there that, you know and, and we're part of a national picture that said we're also quite in terms of our sort of local neighbors and sort of uh, comparators nationally we are still quite expensive per per head so we do need to work out what it is that we're doing and we, we've just embarked on a kind of um well we, we rebuilt the it estate a couple of years ago and part of that yeah. has delivered us a huge amount of new data where you'll be able to hone in really quickly and drill down into where you've got areas and you, you're able to see where you know why, why is that area costing so much more money than south gloss or birmingham or whatever you know we're moving to being more data-led and i think that will really help us make some of those decisions in a more informed way uh, so to the average layman then craig mm. uh you know and i think this is how a lot of people think um when they hear and it's quite emotive and i'm sure it's more complicated than more complex than this but when people hear of i don't know this is cliches in it of lollipop ladies being cut in libraries and uh you know youth set and stuff like that and then they hear and they see how much money some people at the council are on uh so two interim senior officers one earned 180,000 for 10 months work from April 2020 to January 2021. So that's 10 months work. Another cost 179,000. There's been a lot of money spent on KPMG consultants. And then there's a debate around, you know, the efficacy of that and why that should be and, and how what good looks like. Mm-hmm. But can you see, being somebody like yourself who grew up in a council estate, one of 12 children, can you see how that can leave a bit of a, a weird taste in the mouth of the, you know, of the... Um, the general public yeah yeah i mean the, the problem is you know if we get things wrong so if you have a massive most of those people are involved in the kind of capital project side of the council aren't they so so if you get things wrong on rebuilding a bridge or, or you know something that's you know metro bus or something you know something that's huge and infrastructure then people are rightly up in arms so you, you need to make sure that you're you're buying people at a market rate. Unfortunately, we live in a you know in a, in a competitive market. So, to get the best people, you or to get good people, you've got to pay the money. In the private sector, those people will probably earn significantly more than that. Again, you know, worked in the financial sector, as I said, and, and you can have. Is that peanuts? Then, to be honest, no, oh, no, God, God. no, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, I dreamed of something like that. Of course, it isn't. Of course, it isn't. But you, you, if you compared it to, I don't know, a project manager in finance, you know, you might have a project manager in financial sector might earn a thousand pound a day with three reports and a million pound project. Now, yeah. in the council, that you know, that I think that's the kind of rate you were paying to a chief exec. So who's got 6,000 employees and everything from schools to, you know, bins to Lord knows what else under, under their remit. So, um, so no, it's definitely not peanuts, but it, it is, we do exist in a competitive market. And if you want people who are going to be able to, to deliver the job, then you've got, you know, you have to pay them for it. Unfortunately. We're all class. I think is what America calls it. We, if we want world class people, we have to pay the, the competitive rate. Yeah. Well, and it's a fair comment, I think, isn't it? I mean, otherwise, otherwise you end up paying people, you aren't quite up to the job and then you end up in trouble you know have they been world class well i wouldn't like to comment on those individuals because that wouldn't be particularly fair i don't think um no i, I, kind of had, mean, got, I mean we have, had, we have had some very very good employees in the council in in my time yeah. there some very impressive people who've done a lot and have a very impressive cv and have delivered well for the council hmm. but I guess, and i guess the culture of using more consultants um is a is a thing that is happening 
that people don't know the national picture is happening in lots of local authorities and there is more of a a slight revolving door from public to, to private partly because of those you know huge cuts uh, as, as we spoke about yeah. earlier yeah you, um, the problem is you can't keep people on the payroll because you can't afford to be assured that you're going to pay that person year on year it's actually cheaper is it kind well, of well because they, they can come and go you can have an exit strategy can't you that says right you're here you're here for 10 months and then you're gone at the end of it and that's that Whereas if you you know you recruit someone, firstly there's the whole cost of the recruitment process, which isn't cheap in itself, and then yeah. you've got them from then on. And those figures obviously are quite different than when you start to include public sector pension into into what would be sure. a permanent employee. Suddenly those numbers shoot up even more quickly. So and, and in a way, in a way, it's we're twelve years into austerity. In order to protect frontline services, what what you've inevitably done is you've got less accountants and less lawyers and less building consultants and people like that because those are the ones that. You know, when they leave, no one stands outside City Hall with a placard saying "Save our accountants." You know, whereas mm. uh, <laughs> library staff they might. So, so inevitably, yeah. you've you've reduced your backroom capacity, but then you've got to bring people in. It, it doesn't play out particularly well with the public. So, how can you? You've just explained it quite eruditely to me as to why actually it could be a, a, a cost-saving exercise. Do you think you could explain that better? As because I think a lot of people that you know, I would know that you know, play football with or whatever. If you say to them, somebody's paid that, they'd be like, "God, that's outrageous." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you know we we could do a PR job on it, but it's a, it's a, you'd be spending more money then on trying to keep everyone happy about how much money you're spending on people you're paying too much, you know. And the I, I, I'll get to the point I'm trying to make. And the uh, head of the mayor's office was had his uh, salary, I think, increased by thirty to forty grand a couple of years ago. So these I, I, the wider point, I suppose, is people are on good money. Yeah, the mayor's on good money. The head of the mayor's office, I, I agree with you, councillors, you know, need to subsidise their income a bit because it is very low. Should, in this light of this 23 million kind of cuts, if we want to put that out to consultation, do you anticipate that some people may well come back, Craig, and say, well, I think your wages should be cut. I think you shouldn't have a second job. I think you shouldn't be paying so much money to consultants, you know, because if you're going to take away our services, you you should lead lead from the front and lead by example. Yeah, I don't doubt they they will say that. I mean, the, the so taking taking the example of um, Crystal City Council had been a, a officer led organisation for a very long time. You know, we've we've tried to make sure that policy and politicians lead the council because that's what people expect i think when you vote in a mayor you expect mm. the mayor to be in charge not the chief exec you know and so so we've had to make some strengthening it you know we've had to get some strong characters into that into that team to make sure that we're fighting that always fighting that cause so that obviously yeah. costs costs money um but yeah of course i mean it it comes back to the point we made earlier wasn't it? if you cut all of your lawyers planners senior officers you can deliver a short-term saving, but the long-term implications can be that you've got a very weakened organisation that's kind of mushy and confused about where it's going. You, you know, you're, everything gets delayed, planning gets delayed, mm-hmm. decisions get delayed because you haven't got the lawyers to be able to support the decision. You then have to go out and buy those things separately anyway. So in the end, you end up with, you know, it doesn't necessarily save you money by, by doing those things. And I think it would be easy to say, of course, if we if we slashed a whole layer of management, you could save I don't know, a million pound a year and, you know, voila, you've, you've not to chunk off the problem. Of course, what are the repercussions of that? It's not always as straightforward as, you know, it's just a problem removed. Cool. Okay, let's look at council tax. There's a potential, one of the proposals is potential rise in council tax, which could raise up to 4.7 million, which could contribute to that. Obviously, the council tax 
you know, and you know this as, as much as anybody with your background is is arguably a regressive kind of tax, one of the most unfair taxes based on sort of outdated property prices from the kind of early 90s. You know, it's got a lower upper limit. The poorest tenth of the population pay 8% of their income. The richest 40% pay 2%. And that's from the Institute of Fiscal Studies. So as I said, it's one of the most regressive kind of taxes. Are you nervous about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I'm so... You know, if, if this problem in social care had been fixed, this, we wouldn't be doing this. You know, we wouldn't be even be considering mm. it because it's, as you've just laid out, it's the most regressive tax. The government continues to push the problem onto local authorities. And you could argue there's a poli- there's politics behind that. You know, most of the major cities yeah. in England are run by Labour. And if the tourists don't want to put tax up nationally, they can then blame it on, on Labour doing uh, it okay. locally, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. but we're forced to do it because otherwise we're cutting even more services and we just had a discussion about how tough it is to do that in the first place. So, you know, mm. um, it's one of those rock and hard place things, isn't it, for us? We fundamentally disagree with doing it, but at the same time... You, you and that must be tough. And that must be genuinely, you, you know, you'll get stick for this, no doubt, but that must be tough as somebody like you... And and often perhaps being kind of shouted at by people who do come from more privileged backgrounds in the in the chamber or or, or you know on Twitter that somebody who's lived this kind of stuff that must be painful to have to do that if you have to do it yeah 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 absolutely but I mean one, one the the thing that always that gives me some comfort is that we are the only major city that maintains a council tax fully funded council tax reduction scheme so anyone who can't afford to pay their council tax should be able to get support to pay it so yeah so whilst it you know we can raise the um you know, we could raise the overall tax base. We do are still able to support people who can't afford yeah. it. Thirty six thousand households at the moment. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. In the yeah. city, yeah. and it's like four forty. And that's something you're going to continue so with. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we just agreed it for another year. I mean, it, yeah. it's our biggest, it's our biggest area of non discretionary spend in the council. Forty six million, I think it is. And are you, you're proud of that, then? Absolutely, I guess. absolutely. As, as I said earlier, as someone who grew up needing yeah. that support you know my dad would have ended up in prison probably if we hadn't been able sure. to pay it so um it started under george though didn't it in 20 no it was, it was no it's been it's existed it's a it's a government thing so the right. government used to pay council tax benefit and then in 2011 i think they yeah. pushed it to councils and they give they gave some money towards supporting it but not enough obviously and um and now councils have to deliver it and many many okay. councils therefore opted to you know so some councils opted not to well they i think it. most have but they've most a lot of them would say we'll only support you up to you know 25 percent or 30 yeah. percent or whatever whereas we've we've maintained it to 100 percent. so if you can't afford it we'll pay 100 percent of your case so it did start under when george Wilson was mad didn't it yeah we retained it well it didn't end yeah. yeah so it didn't um he didn't cut it but that was a big push from the labor party and the council tax enforcement craig yeah. Um, this is something um, that to my heart, kind yeah. of introduced ethical ethical debt collection, yeah. which is something that I think the Bristol Cable campaigned on as well. Yeah. And um, that could be, or, or you're softening that now. There was an announcement, I think it was you that made it recently, that you are looking to, now that sort of lockdown and sort of COVID were coming out of that a bit, looking to... And maybe enforce is the wrong word. What's the word? <laughs> yeah, so, well, so, so what, we, what we introduced was... So for council tax, and we're just, I'm, I'm about to take a paper through cabinet and I think it's the next meeting, maybe the one after, where we're going to roll this out across parking charges and all manner of other things, actually, other other yeah. debts to the council, business rates and so on. Um, we introduced ethical collection. So we, we removed the use of bailiffs, except where people absolutely could pay and weren't. Yeah. So so we've now got a range of measures. So we, you know, we do early text messaging, we link people up with debt advice charities, we, you know, ram us in our own 
money advice services and we support people through a whole process to build repayment plans and all those things and, and they can rebuild a pay, repayment plan anytime it, mm-hmm. we, we you can never fully 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 remove bailiffs because ultimately the accounts are legally obliged to to collect the money you know that's the that's the door so but but that said, you know, they're, they're absolutely you... a tiny very much last resort now and and our our yep. numbers of things that went to bailiffs has just, just gone off, you know, disappeared. So you can manage and reassure the public that it, people, you know, it's not going to be teams of bailiffs knocking on doors. No, absolutely. So, it, so all that yeah. all that we did was say, so there, there's coming a point now where people are starting to build up too much debt to ever be able to, you know, to get themselves into real trouble. So we've just started the process of the text messages and the letters, you know, as though it were, as though they were, yeah. you know, a week outstanding rather than two years, say. Sure. So, so, you know, we, we are. We're continuing down that route. Like you know, when I was young, I remember hiding under my front room windows whilst the bailiffs were hammering, hammering at the window. My mum was crying next to me, you know. And um, yeah. that, and also, I think you, you get whacked with a three hundred quid charge every time they come round. So you, 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 you could find yeah. yourself with a you know ten pound debt that escalates to three hundred, and then a six hundred, and then before you know it, you know, it's, before you know it's a kind of grand exactly, yeah, right, exactly. Right. And and no one's you know that comes to the council, that's all gone into the pockets of the bailiffs. So so we are not. I'm not supportive of that as a concept. No. This is the advert bit again, which I know many of you only listen to this bit of the entire show and fast forward through the rest. Bristol Cable, we are still looking for members, as we always are. If you're interested, then please do go to the Bristol Cable website and find out what you can do. Chuck's money in each month and become a member as we try to change the landscape of media in the fair city of Bristol. Back to the chat. Okay, I want to whiz through a few things about managing city finances in general. Uh, there are obviously lots of new developments, businesses, uh, film, television activity, you know, like um, outlaw, stuff like that. You know, I don't think there's ever been a period, you know, we're both Bristolian, there's ever been a period in my life where Bristol has felt so connected to the wider country and even in the wider world. A lot of that is a bit to do with sort of post-Colston and stuff, but it just feels as if, you know, Bristol is on the map more now. Uh, so my question to you is that, is the council getting the best deal from outside corporate interests that are now, I guess that, you know, Bristol is now attractive and they're, you know, profiting from that. And that's only likely to increase. So are we getting the best deal from these corporate interests? Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? So we, we have no powers beyond collecting, you know, we, well, we don't even have powers to set business rates. You know, we just collect business rates on behalf of the government and pass it back to government. And then they distribute to us what they think we, we deserve. So, so that there's a kind of, um, we're all, we are in a in a business rate retention scheme. Just I, I won't be too yeah. boring about it, but we do get to keep any new growth in business rates in Bristol. So it is in our interest, in a sense, to um, you know to, for for business to do well here, small or large. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be big corporates. It can be local shops on Gloucester Road. You know, that's an income generation thing for the council. So, so yeah. that that makes that creates business rates that we we get to keep. Yeah. yeah. So so that's that is income generation. Now, in terms of Bristol's kind of. Or do we are we able to maximise money out of corporates? Not really, because we don't have any powers to do that. Marvin's very good at bringing those people together and having those discussions, and and I think we're we're able to do a bit through the one city city plan and one city office to make sure that you know we're giving opportunities to Bristol residents and the apprenticeships and all these things are are available. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's quite hard to you know milk millions of pounds out of out of large institutions when they're not obliged to pay it. And you know, I've spoken to a number of people in, in this series that have been quite critical of the of the one city program. Other, others have been positive about it, depending on who you talk to. Mm. It, it, you know, is there that sense uh, where, like we said, that the council can't provide everything? That actually 
by having a good relationship with business and building those links more stronger and stronger that actually what this does do could in effect kind of counterbalance some cuts yeah would you push back at that would you push back then at that kind of argument that it's a parallel council yeah absolutely i would because that's not the that's kind of missing the point of it the point is that all these organizations exist and they're doing what they want anyway if we can just try and bring them into the room and say well why don't you so for example we we decided last year or a year before that we wanted to tackle period poverty in bristol so a number of big corporates ourselves and a few others set up a charity called period friendly bristol which now provides free sanitary product so firstly donation points so people are able to donate and then a number of volunteers from across the corporate sector and public sector pick those up and distribute them to where the need is and people can then go and pick up free sanitary products from these places in a you know Mm -hmm. in a way that's going to help reduce basic burden on their budget yeah. Well, hunger was a good example of that as well wasn't it where, yeah exactly where it that yeah yeah exactly yeah. the same yeah so so we rallied all the troops around school holiday hunger and you know and we had people from all manner of organizations driving around with bags of sandwiches to give out to kids at bmx clubs and other things across the city you know and that can't be a bad thing i mean i don't care how much of a you can be the most uh i don't know ideological far left kind of uh, communist yeah who believes in just state funded of everything that you know, I don't care who you are. The, the kids that can't eat in the school holidays, regardless, they don't really care where their sandwich comes from, do they? No, I don't do, think do you know so, what I mean? No. It's like it's, there are some times where I, I, I think I agree with you, where there is a you know pragmatism must trump you know purity of of political ideology on yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, I guess a lot of those questions are, are macro, aren't they? So if the whole country were you know, if we're to change it's the way it's ran, then those problems I could understand why why the state well, would be yeah, in all of those places. But because yeah. it doesn't, and we're only in Bristol, all we can do is the best we can in the world that we live in. And yeah. to, to my to my mind, if you know, if we can get free food out of people and give it to kids who need food, and we can get people to deliver it to them all for free, that to me is a wonderful outcome, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, there's obviously this whole gentrification debate. You know, it feels just almost like, you know, my, my street in Easton is just full of people from London now. Yeah. Uh, it's very different. I know this is something that yourself and, and Marvin and others have spoken about. How how can we kind of counter this whilst remaining economically successful? It's, I mean, it's it's the impossible question, I think, isn't it? Because you want, yeah. you want Bristol to be open. You want us to be a success it's a you know it's a wonderful it's a wonderful city and it's it keeps winning best city in the world to live in britain awards and and yeah. you know, what else which of course then attracts people to come and move here and then they of course price out communities that have been around for a long time you know afro-caribbean communities pakistani sure. communities white, yeah. white working class communities whatever they might be they, they can't afford to live in the street that their mum and dad did anymore and what does that yeah. mean for a sort of long-term community cohesion i don't know and what does it mean for for bristol as a whole i think it, it makes i think it will make us richer but poorer at the same time, you know, and that, and that bothers me a lot. It, make, it make, does make me really angry, particular, you know. And then you know, you get people jumping but up. Is that that really... are they not coming? But are they not coming, Craig? Because and I, I, I kind of agree with that sort of first point and that premise of, uh, and it's something that the mayor talks about a lot. Being frustrated, you know, we grew up in the same area, being frustrated, seeing some of those changes and how there isn't the respect for the existing culture there, and things changing rapidly too quickly, and communities changing. But that's kind of happening because. Like, you know, when you bring Channel 4 here or, you you know, the, the media class are going to come, aren't they? Or you bring kind of big skyscrapers with new businesses. So aren't, aren't, aren't you guys kind of responsible for that bit as well? I mean, it's a difficult one, that, isn't it? So like you said, we're, are, are we building 
does a council build huge skyscrapers? No, you know, it's not us that builds them. Well, I'm using that as a, you know, as yeah, a throwaway. Yeah. Just as a, but yeah. I, I get your point. I mean, Channel 4, you know, we fought to get Channel 4 here, but that was about bringing, I guess, creative talent to Bristol. Of course, that does that does have the repercussions that we just talked about. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, the problem is, if you, you know, I look at things like, like um, so I, I know of an area near me where one end of the road is very, um, I would say new Bristol. So, you know, yeah. quite a lot of activists, people fighting for road closures and livable neighborhoods and all these things, all of which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. But the other end of the road, you've got a, what is a traditional working class community who want to be able to drive out the bottom of their road, like they've always done so they can get to town. And they feel like their voices aren't being heard anymore because they're not as articulate. They're not university graduates. You know, they're just, they're, they're they don't know how to lobby. Yeah, and, and they don't know how to, to lobby. Yeah, they don't know who yeah. to speak to. They don't know what yeah. parts of funding exist and they don't know how to, how to organize these things. And, and you can see, you know, that kind of divide feels bigger than it ever was because previously those discussions weren't happening. So, yeah. it's, you know, you can see, you see it live in action and, and I, the answer is so complicated, very complicated. <laughs> Sure, yeah, but it kind of do you take some responsibility for that? For did, did you see that? What do you see that the more you attract in bigger businesses externally, the more people from outside the city or or, or from London are going to come in? Though, so it does. Yeah, absolutely. You see that link, and, and also there's because um... I do hear a lot of I do hear a lot of stuff coming out from the, and I share a lot of it. If I'm honest, like there is a frustration around some of this sort of. Uh, sort of middle class, sort of London activist, sort of crowd a bit, I, and I and I kind of get that. But then the counter to that is also, well, that you know, the, the reason that that people are coming is because of that prosperity of Bristol, and you're kind of responsible for that. Yeah, well, are no? we? I, I mean, it's a it's an ecosystem, isn't it? It's, if right, okay, the, right, the council right. is not in control of Bristol's no, trendy right. nature or the fact that you know yeah. it's been it's thirty years. Or that, you contribute then? You're not yeah, contribute, right, right. contribute, yeah. Contribute, yeah? Okay. Are there any imaginative ideas for balancing the books rather than maybe council tax? Just to chuck out there, could we get uh, people in the more leafier parts of the city paying more? I don't know. It's a radical thing these days to suggest that. I know. It, it could could we? Or, or is that just a no go these days? Um, it's quite a difficult thing to do. So you you have to um you have to have a referendum effectively to get people to pay more money effectively. I mean, you could, we could, so we've talked, there are, there are things you could do, but mostly they come in as kind of one-off pots rather than a regular income. So you can't sort of spend them on regular services. You can only spend it on capital projects effectively. You know, we could, we've talked to, you know, things like um, lottery or we could issue bonds, you know, a a city bond, but all those things bring in investment for a kind of one-off things. They're a lot harder to to capture as a regular service supporting cash flow because you can never be confident of it and there's some regulations around it mm-hmm. okay uh let's uh so just... we are doing that thinking at the moment though obviously yeah. and you know we the way, the way we got down from a 45 million hole to a 23 million pound hole was being very was being you know being clever with how we do things in, within the council so yeah. we, we, we it's not like we don't do these things it's just they don't necessarily get the noise that you know the more difficult things do sure uh let's talk about the elephant in the room uh, Bristol Energy. Uh, was I right in thinking that you were the person that represented the council on uh, meetings at Bristol Holding Company meetings? Yeah, so I'm, I, I act as a council shareholder representative, yeah, on behalf of Marvin, yeah. Uh And the, I think in the Grant Fortin report into the last full financial year of Bristol Energy operations said that the flow of information from the company shareholders to the council cabinet was inadequate. Was it you that was, was inadequate in, in bringing well, the information back to the council? I mean, I don't want to get too much into that. So if, if you can imagine 
what all that Grant Thornton have access to are the public meetings. What yeah. they don't have access to are the conversations that you know me and Marvin and Cabinet may have in in private session. So, you know, it, it's difficult to Chatham House rules and all that. Yeah. Well, it's just you know it's impossible for them to know really. And and there was some lessons in there about how we minute meetings and all those sorts of things and some of that stuff we we've, we've taken forward. But I don't yeah. I don't think that was necessarily a fair reflection. What they what that really meant was in the public cabinet meeting when you discussed it, you didn't explain X, Y, and Z. Um, do you think you but, could? Uh, have, what they did point think, out was that um, because the public meetings were exempt, they weren't able to to see them, and we hadn't minuted those meetings. So some of that right, stuff okay. was actually mentioned in the in the publicly exempt meetings because yeah. we 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 are very thorough and we do have a legal team. We do go through those these things in advance. You know, do you, you know, accept that, that maybe the the, um, the the charge or the suggestion that what was being fed back didn't maybe paint a picture of? Um, of the company failing as much as it could do, which then in effect had the lock on effect of delay and delay, which ended up costing the taxpayer, you know, 40 odd million pounds. Um, no. did you, do you accept that? No, I don't think so. So I think the problem is when you're in a, when you're in a business like energy business, the public face of it has to be positive. You have to be, you know, you're a salesman whenever you stand up and you talk on behalf of the company because you're having to, mm. So, for example, we we had a few bad reports by a, f- a few other people in the council, making or, or leaking details, I suppose, to be frank. And suddenly, uh, the creditors for the company disappeared. And when you can't get free lines of credit, you've then got to start buying credit, which costs you more money. So you have to be you have to be you have to walk a very difficult tightrope and trying to be as transparent as you possibly can, whilst also mm-hmm. making sure that when you're in public, you're not doing things that actually make the position worse for the company. So you end up in this in this weird position of of being a salesperson for something. You know that that well, so you've got to talk it up to keep that. You have, you have to talk it up yeah. exactly, just because you're you know you're publicly and it's a it's a company. This is why it's very difficult for local authorities to be involved in quite complicated markets like that, and why we probably wouldn't have got into it in the first place. Do you accept you know. it was a failure? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, you, it, delivered, you it delivered you, social value. Was it your failure? Was it your failure? I don't think it was our failure. I'll be honest. I think we did. Right. We came in. We there was already a huge chunk of money invested in the company. We then spent a number of years trying to get that back. I put that. I put trade, that to George Ferguson. George feels like he was being blamed when I interviewed him. That you know, five years on, that I'm being blamed for something that's that's absurd and ridiculous, and it's and it's politicking. You presumably you disagree with that. Well, I don't. I don't know. I mean. So when that energy company was set up, there was cross-party support. So I don't think it's George's fault. I just think okay. it was something that that perhaps we naively went into. And if you look at how, um, uh, what's the word, optimistic, I suppose, the, the business plans were right at the beginning there, then, yeah. you know, you could see why councillors and, and George and others might have felt that they were, um, you know, we were on to a winner there. Of course, it, yeah. it didn't turn out to be that way at all when we spent the next five years frantically trying to extricate ourselves from it in a way that sure. wouldn't lose the taxpayer any money. Should you have got out sooner? Do you look back? Well, do you regret that? So we commissioned, yeah, a couple of years in, we commissioned some work to say, should we get out or will this turn a, turn a profit? And, the you know, the company that provided that told us absolutely that you should yeah. stay in it, that it's a, it is a risky business, but we think you'll, uh, you know, you'll make your money back. And and actually, you know, there is still, if, if, we'd, if we'd been willing to put more money in, we could have kept the company going and there is a potential that at some point it would break even. But okay. you know we weren't willing to put any more money, and we made a promise that we would we would stop at thirty seven. And- so there's an irony there here, Craig. There isn't. There's an irony that we're asking for twenty three million pounds of uh, cuts for consultation. And that's almost that's like half the money that was lost. Yeah, but it's twenty three million pounds a year, isn't it? The difference is that's capital funding one off. 
23 million pound a year is 100 million pound in five years isn't it four years do you okay do you so i mean you kind of do, do you feel that the the council um have apologized for this yeah um, i think so enough yeah, yeah i think so I stood, yeah. I stood up and did these interviews myself you know pizza yeah you did radio Brist- radio bristol didn't you you yeah. did you i think you yeah, on the tv yeah yeah what about City Leap? Obviously, that's sort of something that's kind of happening. It's a similar kind of model. Is there any risks attached to that? That we well, it's, it's slightly different. The risk, the risk, the risk in City Leap is that nothing happens, rather than the reverse. Okay. If you know what I mean. So, so yeah. the real, you know, the, the idea of City Leap is that we partner with an organisation to deliver exciting energy projects that will reduce our reliance on carbon-based economy that we're in today. So. So the, the worst thing that can happen is that we sign a partnership and then we don't we're not able to reach agreements to install solar panels or build heat pumps or whatever. It, it's slightly different than buying and selling electricity, where there's a risk that you know you're not making enough profit to make it worthwhile. It's, so so no I, I think it's very, it feels very very different. I think it's very different. Yeah, it's a lot yeah, of money, doing um, it? Is it one billion? One billion? Uh, yeah, in, in, jo- in joint yeah? partnerships. That yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not. So you're really confident. You're confident. You can say now on the record that um, you, you don't think it's going to lose money, uh, or the council at risk of losing money, like Bristol Energy. No, it's a very. It's a, the, the whole setup's different, isn't it? This is about creating exciting projects with a partner for the future, yeah. rather than taking money and investing it and hoping to get something back out of it, which is a different, very different scenario. And on that, and I know we, I know we need to go soon. The uh, obviously we just had COP twenty six. Um, there's been a big debate around this workplace parking levy, which uh, with the Green Party, which which Labour voted against and won by uh, one seat. And obviously, that would have brought in money to do some of this stuff we've been talking about. Uh, do you do you stand by that decision? Well, we didn't vote against it. What we voted for was to do it properly. So, so what what okay. that would have that would have tied us into rolling out a workplace parking levy without actually understanding any of the detail around how we would do it, what the cost would be, what the income would be, and right, all that okay. stuff. And and you know, it's not no at this point. It's, it's just definitely not. No, no. All, all we did was all we did was amend it. We didn't we didn't scrap it. You know, all we did was change it to say, well, but first we're going to, we need to do the following bits of work effectively. So, you know, and I've, I've already been lobbied by train unions, for example, who are saying, well, all our staff drive to Temple Meads to work and they get free parking there. Have you? That's interesting because what was played out on social media was like, uh, uh, you know, obviously it happened during COP26, didn't it? And obviously Marvin's been up there and, and, and there's been people, other representatives from the city that, oh, you're siding with Business West, big business again and neglecting the planet. And it all sort of hyped up into this big social media. Is that a social media thing? That, so that's a Well, I, I didn't yeah. see I've, I've come off Twitter, to be honest. Broad, oh, yeah. I just, okay. yeah okay. I mean, I, yeah. I occasionally log in and give the old retweet, but I don't. So I that's a load of nonsense. I mean, some of these were green I mean, that's absolutely nonsense. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely nonsense because, of course, that's not our. That's not the intention at all. The intention was to make sure that the piece of work was done properly. It was based on, I think the numbers in the in the motion were based on figures from 2011. It's 10 years on and we've just come out of the back of a pandemic. We really need to have a proper think about this and do the proper analysis of how it would work, how it would be funded, what income it would bring in, what would the potential repercussions be for businesses and residents of Bristol, and we don't got that detail yet. So until we get that detail, I think it's you know it's yeah you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't cool. tie us into that without that detail personally, and I wouldn't do it to my you know at home if I was trying to think of something similar. You know, yeah, okay. Uh, let's talk. We're wrapping up now. But let's talk a little bit about you. What's your sort of political ambitions, Craig? Sort of beyond or or, or just ambitions in general beyond. Obviously, the mayor is next. He's standing down. 
at the next election. You're quite close, aren't you? I would say quite a loyal lieutenant to that sort of regime a bit. Would you would you probably step down yourself down or would you or would you potentially look at taking on a bigger role? I mean, are you interested in becoming standing as mayor or, or retro mayor or I don't know, police crime commissioner? What's your <laughs> I'll uh, be honest, I haven't I haven't particularly particularly thought about that at the moment. So um Oh, okay. That's yeah, not no, I, no. I I don't I mean I'm just I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time as deputy mayor of yeah. Bristol. It is very, very time consuming. It is very, very emotionally and mentally and physically imagine, yeah. tiring. And if you went for the big job, you've got to be, It'd be even more that, emotionally. And, yeah, you know, I have yeah. to think about impacts on my family, you know, and, and it is, you know, the bottom half of the internet is very unpleasant, very unfair and very unkind. And, um, you know, my wife, for example, doesn't enjoy reading things people write about Marvin. She would certainly not enjoy re- reading them about me. Yeah, people don't recognise and see that. What does it feel like for you? Because obviously you're you're a colleague, but also a friend of the mayor. When you see some of that stuff, yeah, um, how does that feel? Well, I, I mean, I I just I don't really read it anymore, but it, okay. because it used to upset me, because it does upset me. It did upset so, you, yeah. Well, whatever yeah. people, whatever people think, Marvin yeah. is a good, honest, pragmatic, and thoughtful man, and mm-hmm. the things that are laid at him in the press are, are incredible. Or not in the press, sorry, in the you know, in the comments section of, yeah. I don't know, the Bristol Live Facebook page or something, are, are really sometimes very, very unfair and sometimes much worse than that, you know, or outright outrageous, really. It is well, very powerful, you know some of that stuff. Being, and, of course, it leads, it's led to death threats and other things that are yeah, awful, you yeah. know, and it's, if you pull back your curtains and it says Marvin Dyer or something outside your kid's bedroom window, how's that yeah. going to make you feel? I also think that if there was anybody that had potential out there looking at this role, I think they would seriously think twice about doing it because of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Proportionally, you're already seeing, you know, less women applying for these sorts of roles. Yeah, all that, because, yeah. Because, yeah. It, you know, the criticism is very unfair and it gets very, very unpleasant as soon as you put a woman into that role. It gets even worse than it. So I guess, would that put you off is my question. There is a question. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, 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 it, yeah, it definitely does. I mean, the people play the play the man and not the ball, don't they, too often? I think that's the problem. You seem quite, you seem quite, un, not unemotional, but quite pragmatic, though, from talking to you in this interview, that even if I pushed you on a few things, you seem to be quite good at responding quite um well you said what did you say yourself uh, accountant like that, that that's quite a good that's quite a good skill as a politician though because you don't get you don't get pulled off your off your center do you know what i mean yeah i mean i try and well thank you that's very kind of you to say that i think um I think, although being a like a sort of accountant, I'm not sure that's, a, that's a <laughs> it's, a back, it's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. How can people find out about the consultation to get involved? Do you want to give it? it, it it's a, give it's it available on the council website. So if you I, if you just go to www.bristol.gov.uk and then on the front page there's there's a, a tab for consultations and then you click to that and it'll take you through it. And as always, consultation responses tend to come from the leafier parts of town. So I would love, again, to try and hear from people in those bits of the city that are always more affected by any changes in council services. Lovely. Cheers, Craig. Right. Thanks so much. Cheers, mate. Okay. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. Many thanks to Craig Cheney for joining us this week on Bristol Unpacked. I'm off to have a bit of metal taken out of my knee. So it won't be a show for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back soon with a brand new guest and a fantastic topic. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. And if you do want to become a member of The Cable and join 2,600 Bristolian members all across the city, chipping in every month, then please go to the website to find out more.